a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Tanik. I'm a journalist. And Keith, today we're looking at killer robots. Now, when you think about a killer robot, there is a certain visual that comes to mind if you've watched enough sci-fi movies. But what exactly are modern-day killer robots? What are they called and what do they yeah. look like? Well, the the technical term would be uh, lethal autonomous weapon systems, ironically abbreviated to LAWS, lethal autonomous weapons systems. So it's basically allowing robots to make their own decisions about whom they will attack. And this is a discussion that has been going on at the UN now for several years. Ironically, at a time when we're talking about tensions between the United States and Russia, they are working together to stop progress being made on banning these weapons. Um, it's a game of disarmament. Alba Mirradal, 40-odd years ago, talked about that she was the Swedish diplomat handling disarmament negotiations, and she was very critical of the way that the Soviet Union and the United States worked together to prevent any disarmament negotiations from succeeding. And here we are, the Soviet Union has collapsed, but we still see the same process. These countries, along with ones like India and China, of course, want to continue to be able to develop these um, weapon systems. So they're lethal, autonomous weapon systems, but killer robots is as good a name as any. Indeed, I noticed that one professor actually talks about slaughter bots. Uh, wow, that's quite a name. Bot, of course, is always the robotic element. But um, So the argument is that uh, these will be very small weapon systems which will be able to target individuals. And so um, Max Tedmark, who is at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, um, has warned about a kind of slaughter bot that militaries are already hard, uh, working on very hard and may soon be in the hands of civilians as well. So in other words, buy them on Amazon. So if you want to get rid of your husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? It is. So, so th- these are very small weapons, uh, small as a pack of cars, which could carry a very small e- explosive. But then if you're very accurate, you don't need a lot of explosives. The reason why bombing raids are conducted with such high explosives is because it's so difficult to pinpoint the target. Um, the argument is, is is that um, you can buy one of these robots and be able to kill people. The, uh, Max Tegmark talks about uh, the, the same price as an AK-47, which is a, a Russian rifle, very popular in many countries around the world. So if you're running a drug cartel and you want to get rid of a judge who's causing you problems, for example, so the judge has lots of bodyguards, well, you just fly this thing through the bedroom window while they're sleeping and kill them. So the windows will be open, they'll fly through, and they will, because they've got a built-in television camera, they will just look for the target. So they will kill the judge and not his partner. 
So you don't even need actual assassins, human being assassins per se, do they, to be in the room? I mean, the United Nations defines these laws as weapons that locate, select and engage human targets without human supervision. And when you hear how that can be applied, it it is quite terrifying, really. And and such small devices they're talking about too, as big as a smartphone or possibly smaller. Yeah, exactly. Um, And if you have them in huge numbers, which is what we've seen already in a couple of conflicts, uh, one in Armenia and also issues in Libya, you can actually overwhelm a defence system by just throwing it, dropping thousands into an area. And there's no way that you can actually immobilise all of them as they're coming in towards you. It's a whole new era of warfare. And my concern is that the negotiations have been getting nowhere for the last eight years. Uh, Very little publicity. Um, Now, you've got some countries that are feeling very strongly about this, many in the European Union, and New Zealand. New Zealand is leading the charge. I fear that Australia is supporting the United States, which is blocking any progress in negotiating on these items. So the major military powers like the US, Russia, China, they're not doing anything to stop these so-called laws? No, they, 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 well, they want the weapon systems to go ahead and they want to make sure that there isn't an international treaty to ban the weapons. So this goes back to the work that I did for my first PhD uh, decades ago. I was looking at the updating of the Geneva Conventions and uh, the Geneva Conventions apply to civilians, prisoners of war, rather than the means and methods of conflict. And then while those negotiations were getting underway, leading up to the, the documents that we've now got, there was a move to ban certain forms of, of weaponry, like landmines and uh, flechettes, a little things that you put into a bomb. It's a fragmentation weapon. And it was decided to move those negotiations away from the Geneva negotiations into the United Nations Forum. And thus we've ended up with what's called the Convention on Certain Conventional Weapons. And so you have what are called a series of protocols. So the protocol means that it's a treaty that hangs off a bigger treaty. We have, therefore, this UN Convention, and we have a number of attempts at trying to ban Landmines. The problem is that some countries have not even agreed to ban landmines. The United States is one, although the United States has said that they will only use them on the border between North and South Korea. So the intention for the last few years is to say, well, look, we've already got um, a number of protocols. We've got uh, five protocols already. Let's put in another one trying to restrict these killer robots the lethal autonomous weapon systems. And that move has been blocked. Which is staggering when you look at how many ways this technology could be used for harm. I mean, there's talk about facial recognition drones, robots for robberies, or as you have pointed out, for assassinations, that kind of thing. I mean, so many politically motivated reasons that these could be used for evil. Absolutely. And I think we're actually on the verge of a new era in warfare. In other words, that we've, I've already explored in this series the way that we could have warfare being conducted without anybody noticing it's being conducted by having troops actually move from one country into another. In other words, instead of doing that, you disrupt the infrastructure, uh, you introduce some um, element of cyber warfare, et cetera, misinformation campaigns. And then on top of that, you have these killer robots. Now, we're not yet ready to have them deployed 
in massive numbers immediately. But don't forget, we're talking here about Moore's Law, which is a doubling power of computers. Let me just give you an idea of what we mean by this doubling power. Um, so if you were to have a space which is the size of a sports stadium and you have a single drop of water added at a particular time and then doubles the number of drops every second, it will take 49 minutes to fill the stadium. However, at the 45th minute mark, the stadium will only be 7% full. This is what we mean by the doubling power. And this is what Gordon Moore, one of the founders of Intel, whose equipment is here in front of us, the Intel chips, he warned about this doubling power of computers. And so computers are getting more and more powerful, and they double in size in power. So at the moment, the UN is saying, well, we're just at the beginning of the deployment of these weapons. But imagine where we'll be in 10 years' time. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. I'm Sasha Tannock, and Keith, today we're talking about killer robots. So is this kind of technology already being used in the battlefield? I mean, they have used drones for decades in warfare, but why is this different? Well, it's interesting because you're right. It does have a long heritage. It actually goes back to General Westmoreland, who was the US commander in Vietnam, who talked about the electronic battlefield. So during the Vietnam War, so we're talking now about the, the late 60s until up to 1975, um, the Americans were convinced that the Viet Cong National Liberation Movement were being supplied by weapons and, and forces and food, etc., down through the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which was down through Laos and Cambodia. And General Westmoreland said, look, what I would like would be an electronic battlefield so I can monitor the movement of people as they bring these supplies down through that alleged Ho Chi Minh Trail. And it was not, it, I've got to say, the trail was really not that significant, but the Americans had a, uh, a reason to be able to explain their losses. But what is interesting is that they then had a project, and um, I've been reading a marvellous article by Dr. Rebecca Gordon on this whole issue. And what she looks at is the way in which US scientists earned millions of dollars looking at this uh, system of trying to detect uh, the movement of people through the jungles. So you had a series of detectors to pick up uh, sound and to get uh, movements, etc., and provide an early warning system. So the command post itself was in Thailand. And there they were going to be doing the monitoring of the people moving along. It actually failed. But, of course, from a scientific point of view, you don't worry because you made so much money out of the contract anyway. Um, so, this go- so this was the beginning of the quest for an electronic warfare system. Now, what we're looking at, again, this goes back almost to the point we're making about Moore's Law because it just seemed so primitive and it failed anyway. And the Americans still lost in Vietnam despite all the amount of money which they spent. But what is interesting is that scientists have continued to work on this, particularly with the facial recognition technology, um, which has got a bit of a checkered history. But, of course, as you know, in China, if you walk across a pedestrian crossing when it's red, 
your picture and name comes up on a screen uh, saying, Sasha Tannock, wow. you must not walk across the road when you're told not to walk, wow. right? Yeah. That is the speed with which the facial recognition technology works. Now, so that is, that's, again, Moore's law, doubling power of computers. And so um, what we're looking at here then is a system whereby you'd have these um, devices with the facial recognition technology. So they could look at an entire crowd of people and then decide that's the person that I'm here to kill. I guess with technology, though, there's always room for error, (laughs) as they've seen with automated cars, the technology there. So um, that brings in a whole other issue that even computers can make mistakes. Even computers can make mistakes. We know humans keep making them. Uh, And, you know, there are some people and you'd include New Zealand here, who would say, don't go down this path at all. You shouldn't be developing these weapons. And so um, that and that, that's the, the point of view that I, w- I would support. I think New Zealand is correct on this, along with Germany and other countries in the European Union. Don't, do, don't try to develop this type of warfare. But the problem is you've got a lot of scientists who make a lot of money out of developing these weapon systems. And so they continue to push things along. And there'll be leaks in newspapers saying that certain country is now ahead in this race on autonomous weapons. Remember, none of this is getting into the public domain big time. So the negotiations are going on for years, been on the UN's agenda for years. Um, I've never heard an, an Australian foreign minister, for example, talk about this or an attorney general. Uh, so it's something which goes on under the radar screen while we're so fixated on other issues. And there's an interesting moral responsibility here, isn't there? Because those who are against these laws argue that the problem is they eliminate human responsibility for making lethal decisions. Uh, what about this moral responsibility? I mean, they, we talk about them being fully automated, yeah. but in the end it's a human that's programmed them at the start. So whom do you sue? If yeah. something goes wrong, whom do you sue? Who do you go after in this era? Yeah. And as for me, it's a further example of how humans are racing to their own oblivion by the way in which they're now handing over literally life and death decisions to artificial intelligence. Well, that's exactly it, isn't it? It's terrifying some of these weapons once activated. You know, we may lose control of them in the same way that you could lose control of a virus if that was used for harm. Yeah. um, Or a a gas, that kind of thing. Once it's out there, these weapons, maybe we won't be able to control them. And if we had a responsible media, we would spend more time discussing this and hopefully discouraging governments from going ahead with this research. But it's all being done out of the public eye. Uh, there's very little attention being given to it. This is why I'm glad that people like Max Tedmark, who's a, a scientist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and uh, uh, Rebecca Gordon, who's written this article on a world of killer robots published by Counter currents.org in the United States. They're trying to highlight this, but it, it's it's not getting much traction. We, we, we're far too obsessed with the politicians' private lives or with Hollywood gossip or with sporting results. And are we talking here about government and military or do we know who could get access to these slaughter bots? I mean, you said they could be available to the general public. Well, this is what Max Hegmark is mm. warning us about. Yeah, so Rebecca Gordon in her article talks about these killer robots as being for the military to use. And yet Max Tegmark is uh, going one step further 
and is saying that, in fact, um, it could get into the hands of criminals in the same way that obviously AK-47s are developed for the military. But you, you hear about these rifles being used, well, like Americans can buy these AK-47s in some of their own gun shops in many of the states of the United States. So they will end up in the hands of civilians and some of those civilians are going to be criminals. So the UN has already said that they think these killer robots should be banned. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres thinks they should be and he's described them as morally repugnant and he believes they should be banned by international law. So what needs to happen for progress to be made here? Well, if you can't make progress through the UN system as such, uh, what we did with the Landmines Treaty was, in fact, to have a group of countries working together. Uh, This was led by Canada. And then the Canadians said, all right, well, we will bring together like-minded countries and we will draw up our own treaty. And we'll do it outside of the purview of the UN because our work will be blocked by the Russians, Americans and Chinese. I've got to say, as I was involved with the campaign to abolish landmines, we had real problems with the Australian military. Uh, I remember on one occasion arguing with an army officer <laughs> at a platform in Germany. We were both on a plane trip to Germany and we were on the train platform and we were, the, the, the locals must have thought we were mad. We were both sleep deprived having just arrived in from Sydney. And this person was saying he was, he was a colonel in the Australian army and was saying we need to have landmines to run across the top of Australia for when the Indonesians arrive. That was his view. And to the credit of the Howard government, they were willing to act on this in a way the Labor government were not, and they said, we will sign the treaty. So there was a big campaign that was launched, but the Labor government had listened to the Americans who told them, don't sign it. But the Howard government, I think, wanted to make a point that it controlled the military So despite the objections of the military, sign the treaty. So Australia is one of those countries that's now bound by it. So that's good, um, but it certainly required quite a big campaign. But that was, in the end, Canada simply said, look, you can't rely on the Americans, the Russians, the Chinese, et cetera. We'll go outside of the UN. We will create a meeting of like-minded countries. And then Australia signed on to that process. And, of course, the speculation is which country could take on this campaign of trying to abolish killer robots, and it may well be New Zealand. They're being foreshadowed in this. But remember, the only countries that will ban the robots will be those that sign on to the treaty. And the Americans and the Russians, the Indians, the Chinese have made it quite clear they don't want any of that. They will ignore that process. So you get some countries who will be agreed to be bound by any new treaty that emerges but not all of them. The mind boggles. The technology is clearly fascinating, but also terrifying in the wrong hands. That was this week's episode of Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Make sure you tune in next week when we'll break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Listener.